So it's great to be with you again, and I want to just say that I have never considered myself a prophet, but I honestly believe that God is going to use 2022 in a very significant way in all of our lives. Uh, I've been praying into this thought, and I would invite you to pray with me into this thought, uh, that as we come out of this pandemic, that there are going to be lots of open doors of opportunity for us. Because of the isolation, the mental health issues that we have heard about, the crisis in homes and families, the ongoing financial implications and the impact in many, many people's lives, I believe that God is using by His Spirit to stir up uh, a hunger and a desire uh, that would not have been created had we not had this wonderful thing called COVID-19. And that when these dark storm clouds are finally past us, that there are going to be uh, some opportunities for lasting fruit that will come out of this. So the question, of course, is are we ready to be part of what God is going to do? Are we praying about what's going to happen next? Are we excited? Do we have a sense of anticipation that God is still on the move and that he is up to something new? So last week we started a new study in the book of Philippians. And there are so many great themes in this book. The call to unity, the call to love one another, the call to place our faith and trust, confidence solidly in God's work among us. That what he starts, he will finish, and so we can trust him, we can stand firm. The call to humble ourselves, just as Christ humbled himself, and to think of others as more important than ourselves, and the call to lean in with all our effort that we press toward, we strain toward the finish line of our high calling in Jesus Christ, that shoulder to shoulder that we labor in this mission field that God has called us to. So if you are in need of a little of encouragement, and I think that's all of us, then this book has a lot to say. And I am praying that God will use these next 12 weeks to breathe some wind back into our sails. Uh, because that's really the heart behind what Paul is writing to these friends of his at Philippi. I, I mentioned it last week, but it's a, it bears repeating that this letter is unique among all the New Testament letters in that there is no great controversy or problem that Paul is addressing. There's no theological error or division in the church that's significant. Uh, Philippians is almost entirely a book of encouragement. And if you want a key theme from the book, you would do no better than looking to Philippians 1.27. And we'll come back to this again and again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel Make it your ambition to live a life worthy of the gospel. And so we're calling the series In Pursuit of a Worthy Life. This week, we're really opening the book. We're in chapter one and simply looking at Paul's uh, classic Thanksgiving and prayer as he opens so many of his other letters. And basically what Paul is saying to this congregation is we can't be together right now. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He cannot literally physically visit them. And yet he writes to them with this, this emotion that I need to know that you're standing firm. I need to know that you're still carrying on in unity of spirit and that you're still striving side by side 
for the sake of the gospel. I need to know that things are going well with you. And I think in some ways that what Paul is feeling as he sits in that prison cell or literally house arrest, not so much a cell in Rome, is what many of us are feeling in this, this COVID moment that we're living in. Feeling like it has been way too long since we have been able to be together as an entire church family. I'll just let you know this as a pastor, uh, literally as a pastor right now, talking to a camera in a studio instead of to a live audience. And so thankful that uh, every weekend as we gather, and I've had the opportunity to bump from campus to campus, to be here at Downs Road, to drop in at Central Abbotsford, over at Mission, and, and looking forward to joining the East Abbey crew as they have begun just these last couple weeks getting ready to launch again in February. And it's so cool to see many people coming back and gathering together and encouraging one another and praying together and worshiping together. But it, it, it honestly is really weird for a pastor, however, to know that still every weekend the majority of our church family are not present. And I understand it, I get it, I know the whys, and I can talk myself through it in my head to say, you know what, it's because of this pandemic, and, and there will come a time, and there will come a day. But there's still this longing to know, how are you doing? Are you hanging in there? Are you contending for the faith? Are you still standing firm, and are, and are we striving side by side for the sake of the gospel, even though we can't physically be together face to face? More than any other letter, we hear Paul's pastoral heart coming through. His deep affection for these people, his longing for them to persevere in their faith, it's, it's literally, it's almost over the top. In fact, uh, for some of you who are a little less touchy-feely, uh, Paul's over-the-top intensity might be even a little bit too much for you. Come on, Paul. One commentator put it like this. It is a thanksgiving that is unusually earnest. Paul dwells long and fondly on the subject, repeating words and accumulating clauses. In the intensity of his feeling, he is stumbling all over himself, gushing. Well, let's read it. Chapter 1, verse 3 to 11. You can follow along in your Bibles. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's a great little opening chunk. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at Paul's affection. We're going to look at Paul's confidence, and then finally, we're going to look at Paul's prayer, his affection, his confidence, and his prayer. So first, his affection, and there's no way that you can read a text like that and not be impacted by the emotive words 
and expressions. Paul's love is over the top. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. I, I pray for you with joy. It's right for me to feel this way. I carry you in my heart. God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Can I just ask you a few questions? Do you love the church? Do you love the people of God? The family of God? Are you glad to be part of the fellowship of the saints? I'll just tell you right up front, and you already know this, that there is no such thing as a perfect church on the planet. God's people gather in congregations all around the world in all shapes and sizes and forms of worship and expression, and there is no expression of the church that is without its problems. And you've heard the saying that if you find a perfect church, do not join it. If you find a perfect church and you join it, you'll wreck it. We know there's no perfect churches because we're not perfect people. And if you look for problems, it won't take you very long to find some problems inside the church. In fact, you probably heard the cheesy old story about the, the Baptist deacon who was shipwrecked and abandoned all, all alone somehow on a tropical island. Don't know how he got there. doesn't really matter for the sake of the story. But he lives for several years all alone on this tropical island. Until one day a ship passes by and they, they see the smoke from his fire and they pull in to rescue him. And before they're rescued, he gives them a tour of his little island and the, the infrastructure that he had built there. And here's my home and uh, here's my gardens and here's how I've taken care of myself. And, and this building here is the church where I worship. And then someone points out a, a church just a little bit further down the island and say, uh, what's that building down there? And he's like, well, that's the former church I used to attend. We've all heard that story. And yet what Paul is poking at is the deep love that should exist inside the church. So in our context, we're talking about Northview, a 41-year-old multi-site church in the Fraser Valley, British Columbia. An elder-led, reformed-leaning, Bible-loving, multi-generational church family. And we're a big church. And that brings a lot of opportunities, and it also brings some challenges. Big churches are great if you want to hide away, if you don't want to get to know people or to get involved. But big churches are challenging if you're looking for connection. But big or small and young or old, we know that, that a, a church is not a business. The church is not an organization or a club or an association. The, the church is not a place we go to to receive goods or to consume, but rather the church is the people. The church is the family. It, it is the bonds of familial love that should be evident between us. And just like the best families are loving families, so too the church should be known for our love. William Barclay, in his book, New Testament Words, says more people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. And more people have been driven from the church by the hardness and ugliness of so-called Christianity than by all the doubts in the world. You see, what we're seeing in this context is Paul's massive pastoral heart. He truly loves them. He's a good under-shepherd. Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the church. We get that. But he appoints under-shepherds 
to love his people. And why does he love them so much is because he has seen God transform their lives. He's, he's remembering their partnership in the, the gospel, their participation. And he says in verse 7 that you are partakers with me in this grace, that you have joined me in receiving and applying the grace of God in your life. And you know this already, but there's nothing like seeing God change a life and transform a life and stir up a life and, and watching that ongoing work. As I think back through our years of ministry, so many faces and names come into my mind. I remember this high school kid who came out of a Jehovah Witness home, and he literally was sneaking out of his home on Thursday evenings to come to youth group, knowing that if his parents discovered where he was going, that he was going to an evangelical church, that they would likely kick him out of the home. And the day came when he finally crossed the line of faith and when he came to believe in Jesus as Savior and, and true to his fears, his parents did kick him out of their home. And how another church family with three teenage boys of their own took him into their home and, and basically adopted him as their fourth son. I remember the, the older couple who had drifted away from church. They had childhood memories of faith, but they had lived their entire adult life, raised their kids, their family, away from the church, and, and somebody in their retirement years invited them to a Christmas event. They were stirred, they were intrigued, and then invited them to an alpha, and they, they reignited their faith. And then they began to serve in the life of the church and they became some of the greatest worker bees in the life of our church family. I remember as a young pastor literally being enveloped by the, the massive hugs of this burly guy. He had to be like 6'5 and 300 pounds probably, wrapping me in his arms and weeping at the altar as he was confessing his sin and, and crying out to God, could his wife ever forgive him for the things that he had said and done to her? I remember the single businesswoman who came to a funeral the funeral of a child. She simply came to support a friend, not having a church background of her own, and was so stirred in that funeral that there could be hope for the, uh, the future of the, the, the life of this child and this family, and, and in their grief that there was great hope, and it intrigued her, and, and so she came back to a Christmas service. And the, the weekend she arrives, it just so happens we're asking the question, who needs a savior? Unto you, are born, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And that message God used to open her heart. And Carolyn and I met her in January at a baptism class. And this woman grew like a weed. She got her roots down deep in God's Word. She began to study theology and read everything she could get her hands on. And, and honestly, within a year, she was on staff of the church. And she spent many, many years before moving towards her retirement on the staff ministering to other people in this newfound faith that she had seen. You see, there is nothing like see God transform people's lives. And Paul had seen the Lord by his spirit change people's lives at Philippi. And so we need this encouragement to not give up, uh, to not give up on people that we, we may have wondered, have they gone too far? You see, love is the primary expression of the local church, the family of God. Jesus said in John 13, a, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How will the world know that we're followers of Jesus? One preeminent value, how we treat one another in loving relationships. What a sobering thought. 
David Watson in his book, Discipleship, says the church is or should be the word made flesh for today. Others should be able to look at our fellowship and love and say, that is what God is like. It will not be the total truth about an infinite God, of course, but it will be perhaps the most meaningful and relevant truth that can touch the minds and hearts of all people of all races, backgrounds, cultures, and languages. Love is a universal language. God's love amongst God's people is always the most convincing argument for the truth of the gospel. You see, Paul's love for these people is over the top. And so we might ask, is ours? Every time I remember you, I smile. I pray, I'm thankful, I can't help myself but break out in prayer for you. Do you have friends like that? And are you a friend like that? Paul's affection. Second, in this context, we see Paul's confidence. Uh, the confidence that he, he expresses in verse 6 that I am, I am sure of this. I, I'm confident, I'm trusting in this, that God who started this work in your life will finish what he's begun on the day of Christ Jesus. Now, we touched briefly on this theme last week, and there's a lot of layers to this, but let's remind ourselves of the big story that Jesus promised us in Matthew 16, I will build my church. I will build my church. I, he made the promise, I will build my church. I will. And even the gates of hell itself cannot prevail against the advancing army of Jesus' church. Now today, I think we need that promise maybe more than ever. With all of the things going on in the world around us, we need encouragement. As, as we look back over the 2,000 years of church history, it is clear that the Lord has been true to His promise. He has been and He is building His church. From a group of 70 people huddled together in an upper room in Jerusalem, and how the Holy Spirit falls in that prayer meeting, tongues of fire come upon them, and they are empowered by the Spirit to go out and be witnesses, to take this gospel to all of the world. And how one generation after the next, after the next, after the next, the message has been passed on. And that there have been seasons of explosive growth in the life of the church, particularly those first three centuries. And there have been seasons where the church faltered. And yet in all of these things, Jesus has been true to his promise. And today, over two billion people on the planet claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, you know this, that right now in the West, it seems like most of the news about the church is bad news. Uh, January 8th, just a few days ago, Global News did a, an in-depth report on the decline of religious influence in Canada. They pointed out how churches, particularly in mainline denominations, are losing members faster than they can add new members, how they are in great decline, and, and both the United Church and Anglican Church of Canada will likely not exist in, in another 20 years. They interviewed one pastor in Toronto whose church building seats 2,000 people with an average of attendance of about 50 these days. I remember well a, a seminary church history class that was hosted at the prof's home, Ray Bakke, who retired uh, down here to Acme, Washington. And he hosted the class in his home. And, and as part of that church history class, he took us around his property on what he called the, the Mission Trail. 
Uh, they had bought a few acres on a hillside in the country, and he had carved a trail out on that hillside where you'd walk 100 yards for each century of the church. And then you would stop, and he had built a bit of a monument to a particular missionary, to a particular saint, to a particular church leader in that century. And you would do the walk and do a little lecture, and then walk and do another lecture, walking through the, the 20 centuries of church life. And I was shocked, and I was amazed, and I was encouraged that even in the so-called dark ages, in the centuries from 300 AD up to 1500, in the years of the Reformation, that there still was always a faithful remnant. The fires of the church never truly went out. Today, studies on decline in North America tell us that, that evangelicals are holding our own. We're not necessarily growing, but we're not declining like the, the mainline denominations. We're holding our own. But friends, we need to cling on to this hope that Jesus said, I'll build my church. And so, Northview, friends, are you encouraged and faith-filled with what God can and will accomplish that God is not done with his church yet, that Jesus promised he would build it? Would you have the courage to ask God that our best days would be ahead of us, not behind us in the, the rearview mirror or the memory banks? That even in the face of secularization, that even with the tides of culture coming up against us, that there would be and still are great opportunities ahead of us. I've said this often to you, the darker the culture gets, the brighter the light of the gospel will shine. The darker the world around us is, the bright lights of Christian living will shine out. They will stand out in our culture. Uh, it's why I'm inviting you this year, and we, we started this last weekend. I'm inviting you to join me in praying in 2022, 555 prayer. It's really simple. It's really straightforward. You don't have to do this, but I'm inviting you. Would you join me in this? That you would ask the Spirit of God to lay on your heart the names of five people that you know and love. And they might be five people far from God. They might be five people who've drifted away. They might be five people who have never, ever heard the gospel message at all. They might be friends or family members or people you work with. It doesn't really matter. Ask the Lord to lay some names on your heart. And would you commit yourself to pray for these five names, five minutes a day, five days of the week, and asking the Lord that in 2022, could we see a great harvest in our community? Lord, would you put some names in my heart? And would you create a hunger in their lives? And a great idea is to pray scripture over their lives. John 6, Jesus said, nobody comes to me unless the Father draws them. And that's a great prayer. Lord, we know that people will not come unless you by your spirit draw them. So Lord, would you draw my friends? John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Lord, you love my friend. You love my neighbor. You love the guy I work with. You love the other kids at school. Would you reach out to them? And 2 Corinthians 4, where it tells us that Satan, that the God of this world has blinded the eyes that he's reached over the back of the eyes and put a blindfold that they can't see and hear and understand spiritual things, but that the same God who said, let there be light, who spoke creation into existence, can speak into their heart, let there be light. Would you pray over the lives of friends and family that you love? You see, there's a lot of discouragement coming our way these days. And I think we need to lean into Paul's sense of rock-solid confidence that the Lord who began this project is going to finish it. And yes, there might be some dark days ahead of us. And that is all the more reason that we have to stand together as a church family. 
Students of revival, as they look back in church history, will say that every move of God's Spirit in history was preceded by nearly identical circumstances. The details, the names, and the faces would be different, but almost identical in in the great markers that some great cultural darkness and the decline of the church in the midst of that and then the stirring of God's spirit within God's people to begin to pray and to cry out. And then God starts dropping catalytic leaders into place. Men and women to preach the gospel and to evangelize. And if Canada is not ripe for an awakening and for a move of God's spirit, then I don't know what else should happen and could happen. We are desperately in the need of this awakening. Would you join me in prayer for it? Do we believe that the Spirit of God is still able to call people to himself? Last weekend, a woman came to me after one of our services just to encourage me to keep preaching and to keep praying. And and her story was simply this. I lived in Guatemala 30 years ago when God's Spirit blew across our nation. And our nation experienced revival like we had never, ever seen before. And there was nothing like it. How the church exploded in growth and how people were hungry to hear about the Lord. And and people had a boldness to, to walk up to one another and say, tell me, what is God doing in your life? Tell me how this Jesus has changed you. And how she came to Canada and the sense of coming here 10, 12 years ago was like arriving to a valley of dry bones. An image from Ezekiel 37. But the encouragement is this, but when the Lord says to the Spirit of God in Ezekiel 37, blow, the Spirit of God begins to blow and those dry bones come to life again. If you want some encouragement, you want some prayer fodder, take an afternoon or an evening somewhere along this next couple months, read through Ezekiel 37 and pray that God would awaken the dry bones across our nation. I don't know, are you even thinking about these things? Are you praying into these things because Paul's hope is anchored in the coming day of Christ? Verse 6 and verse 10, he mentions the day of Christ. That there is coming a day when God's work will be complete on that great and coming day. And that we have this hope that keeps us moving forward. That the Lord is in the business of restoration, of reconciliation. He's in the reconstruction business. And what was needed to accomplish this has been fulfilled, past tense, in the life, death, burial, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Everything that needs to be done to make the way clear has been done, but we live in this in-between period. We call it the already but not yet kingdom of God. And we long for and we look forward to the coming kingdom of heaven when the new heavens and the new earth will be ushered in and and heaven comes down and earth becomes the place that it was always created to be. Uh, We've been singing in the last few months a a new song by Paul Wickham, uh, Phil Wickham rather, Hymn of Heaven. I love the chorus that there will be a day when all will bow before him, there will be a day when death will be no more, standing face to face with him who died and rose again, face to face with Jesus. Holy, holy is the Lord. One of the verses reads like this, every prayer we prayed in desperation. The songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear. In the end, we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears. You see, Paul's confidence is bolstered 
by the fellowship of God's people. And friends, it is why the gathering of God's people is so critical. And it is why this pandemic has been such a painful blow to the church around the world. The book of Hebrews talks of how Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament sacrificial requirements. How Jesus opens a way for us to walk boldly into God's presence. And and since that way is open, the author says, let's just do it. Let's walk with boldness and confidence and assurance in the finished work of Christ. Boldly into the presence of God. And let's keep encouraging one another. In chapter 10, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And let us consider how to stir one another up. Let's draw near, let's hold fast, and let's stir each other up. In what? Stir each other up in love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, we need this assurance and confidence that God will finish His work that a better day is coming, and it requires that we continue to stir one another up. And finally, as we look at Paul's prayer, verse 9 to 11, we're introduced to some themes that we are going to come back to in the coming weeks. There's five or six themes embedded in this prayer, and they really form the content for the study in Philippians. But if you cut to the chase and you go to the end, to verse 11, basically what Paul is saying is, I want to see and hear that you're bearing abundant fruit. He talks about an abundant harvest that comes from Jesus Christ's work in us. A bumper crop, the fruit of righteousness that results in God's glory and praise. And and the New Testament makes it very, very clear that the evidence of our faith is the fruit of our lives. Uh, Proving that your faith is real is proven by the good works in your lives, the fruit of God's work in your life. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. We could ask some questions. What's good fruit? How do we get it? Well, there's at least three things we know for sure. The New Testament speaks of spiritual fruit. The first is this, simply the fruit of a changed heart, a changed life, souls saved and lives transformed, the fruit of harvest in the lives of people. Paul writes to the Roman church and he says, I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you. And the context there is I want to preach the gospel in Rome so that I would see many, many more souls saved, that I would see lives transformed by the gospel, that we would see men and women impacted in the neighborhoods of our cities, the fruit of changed lives. But secondly, we also know that good works are part of the fruit of God's work in our life, the living out of our holy lives and honoring Him with good works. Matthew 5 and 16 say that you're the light of the world. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. You see, good works don't save us, but good works give evidence that we have been saved. They're the result of our salvation. And finally, number three, obviously, the fruit of the Spirit. 
Galatians 5, Paul is challenging this church, walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Give in to the things of the Spirit. And then he says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, Paul gives the formula in his prayer. If you just reverse engineer this from the end, you take the last phrase and you just work work backwards, verses 9 to 11. It ends with this comment, a life filled with fruitful service to the glory of God, that that is our goal, that there would be abundant fruit in our lives. Well, how do you get there? Well, just back up one phrase, that kind of life results from living a pure and blameless life. Well, how do you live a pure and blameless life? Well, just back it up one more phrase. It results from making excellent choices, from making excellent decisions, from being a person of discernment and good judgment that you approve what is excellent. Well, how do you do that? Well, that results from, back it up one more phrase, a love that fills you with knowledge and discernment. And so Paul prays for these people. I pray that your love would abound more and more and more, but not just in the emotional, uh, touchy-feely type thing, but your love that would grow in knowledge and discernment so that you can approve what's excellent. And in having approved what's excellent, that your lives would be pure and blameless, and therefore you will be filled with abundant fruit unto the glory of God. So whatever love you already have for one another, I pray that it increases. Lydia slave girl, Joe Jailer, the overseers, the deacons, all y'all, Paul is saying, to the saints at Philippi, I pray that your love would increase more and more. Northview Church, whatever bit of love you have, whether it's a little bit of love or a lot of love already, the Holy Spirit wants to pour the fuel on that your love would abound more and more and more. How long has it been since you received or wrote a letter like this. That you thought these thoughts about other people and as we're heading into 2022, I have a sense that this is an important year for us as we rebuild and as we reconstruct and as we call many people to faith in Christ. And I can't think of any greater encouragement that we could give to each other than to be praying for one another like Paul prayed for us. And so I put it into some words like this. I'm going to close with this paraphrase. Dear friend, I want you to know that you've been on my heart and mind. And I've been praying for you. When I think of you, I always get a smile on my face. Because God has been so incredibly good to you. And I can't help but rejoice in what he's doing. Every time you come to mind, I'm asking God for some specific things in your life. I'm asking that you would be more and more loving in all your relationships, that literally you would overflow in love toward the people around you. I'm praying that you would grow wise and discerning and full of knowledge so that you'll always be able to make the most excellent choices. May your life be above reproach. Nothing that would detract from the glory of God in your life. And may you abound in fruitfulness. May the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control of the Holy Spirit be yours in abundance. May your fruitful good works point many people 
to the love of Jesus. And may God give you the joy of leading some of your friends and family to faith in Jesus Christ. May he use us to not just plant seeds of the gospel, but to have the joy of being there on the day of decision. And may God keep your eyes on the coming day, that great and glorious day that's on the horizon, the day when all tears are wiped away, when sin and sickness and disease lose their grip on us. This is my prayer for you, my friend. And it's right for me to feel this way about you because you got a big place in my heart. God bless you.